You are listening to my activism story by Amnesty International Nigeria. Right here, we'll unpack the personal stories of Nigerian frontline activists, civil societies, and policymakers while exercising their civic responsibilities. One thing is sure, you've been inspired and awakened to be champions of human rights. Let's dive in. This episode is titled, How Digital Platforms Are Redefining the Rules of Protest. Our guest today is Vinu Oduwala, a youth activist and advocate for police reform in Nigeria. Vinu discusses experiences as an activist and the role that digital platforms have played in shaping the nature of protest movement, the challenges and opportunities that come with this. day that I decided to actually um, do something about this was the death of Tina Izeko. Uh, Tina Izeko was a 16-year-old um, young lady who was shot on the evening of the 26th of May, 2020. been assistances and obstacles. For example, in 2021, we had the Nigerian government shut down uh, Twitter because of, uh, you know, the fact that the, the, the Nigerian government themselves put out the tweet out there um, that was referring to, to a genocide that happened many years ago. And so, and then the next day, it was suddenly, yeah, put the light off and, and Twitter was shut down. The world used to have this image of protest being you have to be on the streets carrying placards um and, and shouting alita songs you know, you know, you know, you know. but <laughs> these days you can you have online protesters you know and which are so 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 protesters or online digital platforms rather and social media have also created like um safe spaces for people to protest moment that inspired you to become an activist? I think that um, for me, it was realizing that you could be a victim of the Nigerian um, systemic injustice, you know, with no access to help, no access to um, healthcare, no access to justice. One particular day that I decided to actually um, do something about this was the death of Tina Izeko. Uh, Tina Izeko was a 16-year-old um, young lady who was shot on the evening of the 26th of May, 2020, by a drunk SARS officer who shot into a group of passengers sporadically after he tried to extort the bus driver. When you say this to probably the international media or people who are not from Nigeria, it may seem strange, but then for Nigerians, we're actually no stranger to this kind of incidences. Uh, Tina died two days later after she was supposed to write her school leaving exams, you know, uh, or before she was supposed to write her school leaving exams, rather. It took the help and, you know, voices and the push of collective, you know, voices of, of justice and reform activists to even get any attention on the case. Because like I said earlier, the Nigerian system is used to this incident is happening and nothing ever gets done about it. This wouldn't have happened if it were to be the child of one of our politicians at the Elite. 
so it happened that the very protest that I attended was the one that I organized myself, which was after Tina Ezekwe was killed by a police officer. I think around that same time as well, um, there was also the death of another young lady who was raped in a church in Benin. And so this, you know, I felt a very strong obligation to rise and do something more than just probably help train hashtags. So I organized a protest with some of my friends, some social media people I've never even met before, um, and went to the police headquarters in Lagos. Uh, from there, it has been a roller coaster. I think that's where I'll pinpoint to um, the pivotal moments I talk about. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. That was really deep. Uh, you were at the forefront of the NSS movement in Nigeria. Can you show with us the background of the movement and what it stands for? For for the NSAS movement in Nigeria, uh, if, from my perspective, it's about ending the injustice that has been meted out, not just to the Nigerian people, but then to young Nigerians for the very longest time that we can recall. Nigerians, um, and in that circle, young Nigerians are no stranger to police brutality. Like I said, you know, when you ask the first question, this is something that has always been part of our lives ever since as far back as we can recall. The Nigerian police force is one of the biggest institutions, perhaps even the biggest that represent oppression in the Nigerian context, because that was the premise they were founded on, to oppress and keep the citizenry subdued, um, to silence dissent, to ensure that, you know, nobody speaks beyond what the government can take. Um, so uh, the entire was a movement against this injustice and oppression. And then bad governments, that is mainly um, um, also perpetrated by, by our politicians. I think that, again, just to form a background, um, in 1992, the Special Anti-Robbery Squad was formed to combat issues of armed robbery and serious crimes. Um, at that moment, you know, they were supposed to combat those violent crimes, which include robberies and kidnapping that were occurring in Nigeria. Um, over time, they became the armed robbers themselves. They became the killers. They became the criminals. Um, and they became part of the Nigerian police force, the, the unit in Nigerian police force, who are responsible for hundreds of extrajudicial killings, enforced disappearances, torture, mock execution, sexual violence. Um, we can go on and on about these cases that are really investigated and officers are really, are, are really persecuted or really persecuted. Um, so since 2016, I guess, protest has been building momentum across Nigeria. So when people say, oh, the NTA started in 2020, it did not start in 2020. You know, it, it is a movement that has been building up gradually um, before the global outburst in 2020. And we've had advocates and justice reform um, activists that have been putting efforts into that. Uh, so these guys have, you know, refused to listen to or heed to the calls and cries across Nigeria, um, and they've kept on killing poor and voiceless Nigerians. Uh, so it's the outburst of the fiscal protest in 2020 um, was as a result of the failure of the government to treat the root causes of police brutality. So you now understand why um, bad governance was also uh, a very key focus point of the protesters in 2020, because if the politicians, if the government had just dealt with, you know, the crisis in 2016, then we wouldn't have the protests in 2020. So you have this police, refu 
the refusal to deal with causes of police brutality as um as a as a unit in a larger how do I say umbrella of, of bad governance issues generally? These guys, the politicians, which I call these guys, they don't they don't listen to the citizens' demand, ranging from police brutality, ranging from the fact that um we don't have basic amenities in the 21st century, we don't have civil electricity in the 21st century, and all of that. So in essence, uh, or in summary, it was a movement against police brutality and also um against bad governance. Thank you. Like we, you know, talked about young Nigerians went out to protest against police brutality and bad governance. And one of the most resounding successes I would like to say that we, we enacted in 2020 was that um, due to so much pressure, at least the government pretended to disband um, SARS all over again, although they gave them another name. Mind you, they've been disbanding this SARS, you know, several times. But um, that was that's a change. That's a win that we can we can record at least from a tone deaf um, government. Also, there was um, there are also other wins like young Nigerians saw the need the the, the um, importance for them to get involved in the in the you know movements for police reforms for good governance and all of that um also you you, you see that there was one takeaway by protesters um that nigeria can be great if only we get involved if young nigerians can man manage in two weeks to um crowdfund to turn a movement that started um as a, a small protest you know organized by Reno and some of our friends to a, like a global protest where people were protesting across border, a trans transborder protest, then Nigeria can be great if only, you know, we're allowed to get involved. Also, you could see that there was a new social contract that was written. Um, Nigerians, we created a new understanding of how leaders and public servants should relate to citizens. Um, there was a, a new culture of asserting rights, you know, young people reinvented governance. And you saw that um, in, in the elections that happened, that we had a new politically conscious society and um, politicians could not afford to take young Nigerians for granted um, any longer. So the protest gave us um, also a, a voice. For the change that um, more hope that I, I hope to see, uh, I, I direct project at Obengia where we are documenting and defending and advocating against a lot of um, the state violence and police brutality that is happening in Nigeria. Um, I think that the the Nigerian government ever since 2020 um, felt like they've succeeded in beating back the resolve and the resilience of, of young people due to the you know repression and violence and massacre that happened. And I, I would just like to say that they should not take them for granted. The protests are not over. The fights may have gone off the streets, may have gone off the TV screens. It doesn't mean that the young Nigerians who came out to protest in 2020 um, have, have, have disappeared or gone back into their shells, you know. Um, so you have more cases of police brutality coming up, perhaps due to the spotlights um, that we are shining on these issues, more extortions and all of that. Um, so, so one one of the things is Nigerian government should not take these protesters for granted because they can still return to the streets. Another is that um, the Nigerian government has to take lessons um, from the NSAS protests and from the elections that we've just had uh, to to sort of how, how do I say this? Um, 
we think about you know the kind of policies the kind of actions the kind of um body language that they are sending out there especially when it has to do with police brutality that affects a majority of young people and say let us deal with these issues conclusively rather than just pay lip service to it i've always been one to say that uh, they don't have any uh, intention of ending police brutality because it favors them because well they're benefiting from the oppression of the, uh, the average nigerian citizenry however behind the 21st century um where the world is uh, moving you know beyond the the status quo uh the nigerian politicians think that they can they can fit nigeria into the world has moved ahead and it's now time um to to deal with issues conclusively right like i said rather than pay lip service to them and ensure that the future of our country the future of our nation that we've always said our young people are protected and put in safe spaces you know that, that enables them to access opportunities we need to be able to compete with uh global you know colleagues out there rather than being stuck fighting police brutality and other things that can be dealt with you know um so so that's that's what i hope to see you know moving forward you are listening to my activism story by amnesty international nigeria Now, since you were at the front front of, you know, of mobilizing the ETS movement, did you face, were there any challenges that you faced, especially in using digital platforms? Well, yes, um, there will, there will always be resistance to change, no matter what you do. Uh, there've been resistance, there've been obstacles. For example, in 2021, we had the Nigerian government shut down uh, Twitter because of, uh, you know, the fact that the, the Nigerian government themselves put out a tweet out there um, that was referring to, to a genocide that happened many years ago. And so, and then the next day it was suddenly, yeah, put the light off and, and Twitter was shut down. So these are one of the obstacles that, that I can look at in the sense that today, authoritarian governments like the Nigerian government um, are few so how do i put it they they they're so um they're so restrictive in the sense that they can decide to shut down social media at any time on any day and this this social media is part of digital platforms like i said that we're using for mobilization um for organizing and all of that if any government um feels does you know like they can shut down the media at any time then then those safe spaces are in jeopardy so one of the obstacles is you know the fact that they can be shut down to these spaces. And if we see the trends that is happening, not just in Nigeria, um, across Africa and the world, you're seeing that these regimes um, are targeting these digital platforms, social media, um, as, as their next target, because they see that many mass movements, um, many of the organization has been done today has been done on these digital platforms. So that's one, um, shut down. Uh, also, you have a lot of, how do I put this? attacks you know for, from from the government and, and pro-government talks where you have smear campaigns um especially on frontliners of mass movements um even on cso's as well you have um, the government sponsoring um smear campaigns through attacks disinformation misinformation on you know online in order to be able to ensure that they either drown out you know or shut down the voices of reasoning um, many people talk about misinformation and disinformation as challenges in using digital platforms for activism 
However, I'm one to always, I've always opined that the, the governments themselves are the biggest funders, are the biggest spreaders, are the biggest um, participants in spreading misinformation and disinformation online uh, because it, it it's, their, their aim is achieved when they spread this, you know, this hate speech and rhetoric and, and propaganda online it helps to achieve their aim um, of changing, you know, the minds of citizens or making them stay away from the entire political process. If you we could do a research right now, you'll find out that the governments of many countries, not just in Nigeria, uh, are the biggest, you know, the spreaders of misinformation and disinformation. So I also had to start that misinformation and disinformation by governments, um, upper government and those also some of the challenges that we face in, in using these digital platforms. Yes, I've talked about shutdown. Um, I think these are these are some of the biggest challenges. Also, ignorance can be can be a challenge, um, especially from citizens, which is why there needs to be more education uh, to be done. For example, you are trying to educate someone on the human rights. Probably in Nigeria, you're not you're not stranger to the fact that if you just perhaps. Um, try to talk reasoning into a member of a security agency, say a soldier, for example, and you, you get beaten up or you get slapped or you get harassed or you get detained or something like that. Maybe you are telling them don't pass this way because it's it's one way or you're obstructing the traffic or something and get beaten up. Your human rights effectively has gotten trampled upon. And then someone comes to report that online and, you know, why trying to, trying to get... Uh, public attention on that issue. You have some citizens also saying, well, you two, why did you go and challenge the soldier? And then you're like, this is, this is, I mean, are you, are you that um, ignorant to the extent that you don't understand what your fundamental human rights are? And somebody is telling you, oh, we know, please, why did that person to go and challenge the soldier? You should not be supporting bad things. You know, soldiers are meant to be respected. And are you like, I'm not saying soldiers are not meant to be respected, but they have effectively gone beyond their terms of engagement. So at times, ignorance um, can also be an obstacle when you're trying to um, use digital platforms for activism and, and all of that. Thank you so much, Reno. All right, let's see talking about, you know, how digital platforms are redefining, you know, the way people, you know, are being mobilized. So how have digital platforms like social media changed the way protests are organized and executed? Well, massively, I would say, very extensively, social media has changed the way protests are organized and, and executed. And we have several examples from the NSAS protests to the Bring Back Our Girls movement um, to even Beyond Borders, say, to fix the country um, in Ghana, to SSOT in South Sudan, um, to the movement of the young people in Zambia. Uh, even to Kenya, downright to Kenya, uh, we can go on to Egypt as well with the Arab Spring, go on to the United States with, with the Black Lives Matter movement and all of that. Social media, when you look at um, you, them in connection with protests, the way protests have been organized, um, have changed a lot. You find out that many mass movements these days uh, often start from social media. The half right often starts from online, then to the streets. Um, the, the, the 
before it goes on to the streets, which is why we should also come back to the fact that governments um, have put a tone deaf uh, body language because they see these cries, they see these trends, they see these hashtags, then ignore them um, until they spill out onto the streets. Uh, so one one of the ways um, these digital platforms like social media has changed is, is in um, crowdfunding. You know, you can easily get money for your course um, once you put it online and, and you find people who are passionate about the course you believe in. Another is also um, organizing and mobilizing. You don't have to go to the streets and hold the microphone and say, come and join me for a protest or, you know, and all of that. You can just put it online and once it's a course that people are passionate about, then definitely um, going to join you. Another is, you know, in the strategies and conversations and all of that. They say you first start from talking, um, then you then talking leads to action, action leads to change. So you have the social media platforms, you know, providing spaces for people to, to, to have conversation, essential conversation, especially for young people about their future. Um, and this has also changed the way they, they've engaged in protests. Before, you, you young people are like, more protests. I can see Nigerians are like, uh, protests, but make I just sit down from my house. But um, these days with the, with the, the active engagement and you know um, constant presence on, on Twitter platforms like Twitter, Instagram, and all of that, um, young Nigerians are more likely to engage in a protest if it's about a cause that, that, that they believe in. Another thing um, we could say that digital platforms have changed the way protests are organized is that um, we the world used to have this image of protests being you have to be on the streets carrying placards um, and, and shouting a Luta song, we no go grill, we no go grill. But <laughs> these days you can you have online protesters, you know, and which are we, so 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 protests have or online digital platforms rather and social media have also created like um, safe spaces for people to protest. These days, even if you don't want to go on the streets um, to protest, you can still be protesting online, which is why if not the entire protest, we had online protesters who were actively doing the work that we couldn't even do on the streets. So you can also protest online um, these days with your hashtags, with your platforms, and still make your voices um, edge just like those people who are on the streets. So these are some of the ways that digital platforms have, have changed the way that protests are organized. It's, it's obvious that Nigerian youth are also, you know, getting interested in issues that concerns them. And then, but then the question is, for those who are aspiring, you know, you know, to have a voice or want to have that voice and want to make a difference, you know, where do they start from, basically? Um, I think that it is very important for young people to get involved in governance and social justice. Because at the heart of every democracy are the voices of citizens. And young people, maybe 25% of today, we are 100% of the future. Um, look at Nigeria, for instance. The population of Nigeria is already um, more than 60% made up of young people. So um, when they say we are the future of tomorrow, even though that reality hasn't come, we are actually the future. Um, we are actually going to make up, you know, most of most of the future that, that we've got so um like i said at the heart of every democracy are the voices of the citizens and when governments um seek to silence the voices of their people it is a direct attack on, on humanity it is a denial of the basic right to speak to be heard to fight for what we believe in um is also is an attack on democracy as well they say democracy is a government of the people by the people and for the people um and 
if the people themselves do not get you know the the spaces the right to be able to talk about um what they think should be changing in their country um what they think should should be moving forward and the opportunities that they need to thrive then there's no government there's no democracy so if we don't get involved um they say politics is too is too delicate or too important to be left for politicians if we do not get involved um it's the people who do not understand the challenges uh that we are going through that will keep making decisions that are not uh specifically tuned to to deal with our challenges if you understand what i'm saying also um I like saying that we cannot be fighting for jobs, fighting for opportunities, fighting for our countries to get developed, and still be fighting for our lives at the same time, which is why young people went out of the streets um, in 2020. It is more than enough to have to fight to get a basic day meal. Um, but then it is extreme to still have to fight for your life, to still have to fight for survival in that regard. So this particular two areas, governance um, and social justice, are particularly and very, very much um, important, except especially for young people. If we do not get involved, just like I said, um, people who do not understand our challenges, who do not understand our struggles, who keep making decisions uh, for us. So whether it's by supporting civil society organizations like Amnesty International, um, engaging in peaceful protests, using your voice on social media, using digital platforms to make your voices heard, every act counts whether it's even by volunteering you know um in civil society organizations we can't afford as young people we cannot afford to be complacent and or or, or indifferent in the face of injustice in the face of stagnant uh systems you know so the fight for civic space the fight for human rights the fight for good governance it's not just a struggle in nigeria it's a global challenge that affects every one of us so we must all stand up for what is right especially as young people um even when it's difficult or, or, or unpopular we must speak out we may be scared to speak um but we must never be silenced i think it was angela davis that once said that i'm no longer accepting the things i cannot change i'm changing the things i cannot accept so the time the time to act um, is now to build a country to build a nation uh to build a nigeria where unity where democracy where freedom and human rights where good governance and not just words to be banded around around but a reality uh for every one of us in one word maybe you can do more than one word though <laughs> so what's activism to you Activism already defines uh, itself, you know, the, the word act and activism, to act, to stand up, to take action, to speak out, to use your voice, to use your platform, to act on the course that is very important to you. Whether it's on social justice, it's a governance, it's a climate change, environmental issues, the food crisis that is affecting um, us, you know, not just in Nigeria, but then across the world. Rights creating jobs, creating employment for um, the millions of people that are unemployed out there. Rights solving um, the housing crisis that we have, putting your platforms, putting your voice.
voice uh, behind something um, that's activism so whether we like it or not we are all activists because many people don't like being say oh, i'm an activist but so far you're doing something that um represents that that is creating change you know um that is creating impact um as a cso as a young person um as you know someone as a nigerian living in nigeria so far you're doing something that is creating impact that's creating change that's giving people hope that is giving people that is inspiring other people to keep engaging in the process um that is putting food on people's tables uh that is challenging uh the norms and and, and systems that have always governed us then you're an activist we're all activists <laughs> We hope that this conversation has been enlightening and has given you a deeper understanding of the human rights challenges confronting our society. We firmly believe that safeguarding and advancing human rights is pivotal in building a fair and equitable community. And we urge you to get involved and join